Lou, thanks for coming in today. We're doing a, a special video here that is about Judd Logan, who sadly passed away. Uh, Judd was a hammer thrower, highly decorated athlete and coach. He was a four-time Olympian. He competed in the 84, 88, 92, and the 2000 Olympic Games at the age of 41. His uh, dad and brother uh, played for OSU, and his dad went on to play for the Green Bay Packers. He was the head track and field coach at Ashland University. Um, when he came to Westside, Lou, I have a few of the stats you put out in two of your articles. The first article was the reactive method, and the second one was explosive length training, where uh, Judd had a 440-pound power clean, a 770-pound back squat, 478-pound bench, and a 56-inch box jump at 285 for five reps. And this is where I want to get uh, more information from you. Um, he brought in some information from his East German friends who suggested to push up his box jump. Um, how much of a difference did that make to training and how much information did you get from Judd? Well, the difference was he didn't have all those big lifts and then he pushed them up to those and then his jumps, uh, his throws never went anywhere. That's when he talked to the East German buddies and they told him to push the box jumps. And I think he did uh, on a 56, uh, like five sets of five. Oh, wow. He weighed uh, 285 pounds. That's when his hammer took back off, built explosive power. You know, and that was the whole key. And I learned a lot from Judd. He comes to one of my seminars, but I make it a point to learn from people. You know, I don't sit there and, you know, and be the main, uh, you know, light in the, in the room. I, I want to learn something from people. I want them to, that's how they pay me. And he told me about those box jumps, and I've used them ever since. It's made a tremendous difference. Um, how many other athletes were doing that? So after you learned that from Judd, did you get people on it straight away, or how did you integrate them? Athletes. I had two high school girls jump on them, 54 and 55, girls. So all your football teams, high school football teams, get your boys to start jumping a little bit. Jumping is explosive power. It's, it's the steepest increase in strength in the shortest possible time is explosive strength. And that's the key to sports. Moving first, you know, boxing. Everybody's, the guys that have a step ahead wins the fight. What, um, what was the difference that the box jump made? Explosive power, displaying your strength. You know, it's one thing to have a lot of horsepower, but you've got to take off in first gear. You can't take off a fifth gear. You have to take off first gear. Was that a, a, a coaching um, tester that if you knew if their box jumping went up, their explosive power went up? Yes. Yeah, so and what I did was I trained about 12 guys to go to the NFL combine. I wanted to go to the NFL combine and come here. Uh, the first one was from Oklahoma, and he's a big lineman. He, uh, he had a 5-4-40, and they told him if he knocked a 10th off, he'd play. Yeah. Well, I had him two months, and at the end of two months, he ran a 5-1-40. And uh, basically, he did speed squats with us. Max effort. The, ma the major difference was I made them do uh, 40 jumps twice a week. All right, we changed the jumps every time. Ankle weights, weight vests, uh, combinations, kettlebells, all kind of records. So every time we went, we tried to break a record. And, uh, at, and like I said, at the end of the thing, uh, he broke his record. I never ran him one time. I brought in at least 10 more, and I averaged three tenths in two seconds. Oh, anyone don't believe me, I'll bring people to Ohio State and I will prove this. But no one wants to do it, you know, because it sounds too simple yeah. and they can't make any money. I'm not charging $20,000 to take a half a tenth off, you know. So when they came here, they all did it. And they, I used the same procedure for every single one of them that worked every time. You talk about the... I, oh, I, go ahead. And I, no running. They would go up to high State and do lineman drills and, and linebacker drills. And, and that's how I did it. I had a guy come here, play five years for the Raiders. Lineman, big guy, you know, 330, 40 pound guy. He spent a week in here and uh, I worked with a bunch of band stuff with him. 
And on that weekend, after playing in the NFL for five years, he got this longest standing long jump of his career. Now, how did I do that in three days? And he'd been in the NFL for five years. But he wrote a thesis about it, about band training. Yeah. And I was pretty proud of that. I mean, that's why I don't want to pass the information along. Don't do it don't do good if you can't pass things along, right? Yeah. Um, so how important was it when he came um, back to Judd when his lifts went up? So he came and just say his max strength went up. Was it important to move the speed with it along the way? It's all got to go up together. Yeah, well, if one without the other, you have nothing, you know. If you're a powerhouse, that makes why uh, a guy, a couple of linemen in the NFL told me all, all linemen in the NFL is a powerlifter that could play football. You know, you got to be explosive and fast. Yeah. They just can't be just slow and, and all that. So you need all the, and you need every spatial strength. That's why it's called spatial strength. You know, you got to be explosive, you got to be able to accelerate, and you got to have maximum strength. Uh, how important was the information coming over from overseas? Oh, very. Everything I've ever learned come from overseas. You know, I, I'm reading bodybuilding magazines, which get me nowhere. I'm reading the workout of the month, which who gives a damn because the guy wasn't any good at wrote the articles. You know, I mean, he's a novice lifter. What do I care what he's writing? And then that does what made me start writing articles. Uh, you know, I had I was strong. I had strong guys, and I'm going to his stuff is crap. Someone's got to get some truth out here, and that's why I started writing articles. And that's where I'm at today. You know, yeah. for many many different uh, books, and uh, but mostly powerlifting USA. And you know, now we've got what, 11, 12 books out, and I've got a couple more coming out. And it's all information that I learned by experimenting. Yeah, I didn't just write it, take it out of a book and write it, you know, just believe it worked. It works because I bring it in, I take a couple groups and I test them. Like with bands or chains and all these things over the years, the box jumps, uh, sled pulls, how far. What, what, I always recommend 60, 60 yards or 60 meters for sled. Why? Because that's what the NFL guys told me, and also sprinters. So it's good enough for them. It's good enough for me. You know what I mean? I'm not going to tell them what to do. You tell me what to do, and I'll push it on to others. All right? And now, I think sled, like, it's a different subject, but sled pulling is one of the greatest things I've ever, I've ever come across. Where did you find out about that? Uh, well, I, um, I, my knee was all banged up, and a guy called Eskel Thomason, who was in Sweden, he's visiting for a while. Then he moved here 10 years. But we wanted to know why these the Finns had so many deadlifters. So he goes back. Well, he did some research. He went to Finland. And my friend Sakari's there anyhow. But he uh, checked them out. And all the dead, uh, most of the deadlifters were lumberjacks. And they said, what do you do? They said, we don't do nothing. We just pull this wood out of the, you know, chop wood and pull the wood out down to the trail where the tractor gets. It's not as modern as it is over here. And they pulled it between their legs and over their shoulders and backwards and you name it. So I said, well, hell, it's good enough for them. I said, I'll give it a shot. Rehab my knee. I went from my 821 squat after blowing my patella in half and retiring for four years to come back squat 920, second best in the world. And I did it because of sled dragging. When I you passed it on to Eddie Cohen. I, when Eddie tore his knee off, I immediately sent him a sled. My, uh, Eddie's mentioned that, you know, yep. and that's my job. That's, that's what, what are your job? My job is to help people. When you first started, was there a sled or did you start with weight plates, dragging them, and then? Pulled a 100 pound plate with a chain. That didn't work too good, you know. <laughs> it's wearing things out real quick. So then we made our first sled, and also a wheelbarrow. Wheelbarrow is tremendous. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I push a wheelbarrow because wheelbarrow is like crushing with a wheel. You know, if you got a bad knee, you, you can put, you know, 40 pounds, 40% of your pressure on a bad leg, and then 45, then 50, then, you know, once you get to 50, 50. And to real methodical steps, you're standing on your bad leg for a long time, it gets bad, set the damn thing down. And there's the presumable for another set. Yeah. 
when uh, back in that day, do you remember who the training partners were in when Judd was in training? Like what group was in there? My gym? Yeah. Oh, uh, Chuck Bogopol and uh, Rob Fusner and Kenny Patterson, George Howard, all the real strong guys. Matt Smith had just started and all these guys. But And they're all able to train together? Yes, they're all trained together. You see it on our training tapes. Yeah. The guy called me this morning, watched one of our, you must have put out one of his squat workouts. Yeah. His watches. Um, it seems though that. Uh, I, I, want, I want to say just a couple of things. Yeah. And it's not, about, it's not about me, but maybe it is. But Donnie Thomas, he's in one of my tapes, he had 920 squat. Okay. And, um, you know, uh, the guy that sells all the, what's his name? Uh, Spud. Yeah. He had like less than that. Well, Donnie went on, actually, you know, uh, to squat nine. 1267, 1265, I think, and Spud went over 11s. And it's all the same process. It's exactly how we train. It's how you train. You know, you don't see a, you don't see a new NFL team come out and just train completely different than the rest of the NFL. They're going to carbon copy the NFL. Might be a bad idea, though. Yeah. With the well, injury risk. With the injuries. Yeah. Yeah, the injury is ridiculous. That's another story. Um, ridiculous. Weak things break, Tom. For sure. <laughs> Weak things break. Uh, as simple as it is, it's the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, on that, we, we got a bunch of um, kindergarten kids, our schools that had that banner in the background to get them into strength training, which has come like, through the three book. It's, that's yeah. pretty cool to see, but that's a, different, a yeah. different podcast too. But when I went back just reading articles um, and researching for today, it really seems like the hardcore research that was done back then holds as true today as it did when you first found out which is, it's crazy to think. And you go back to the, the Soviet books, the training books, the science of practice of strength training. You're like, there's nothing that's coming out now is, is like as good as that. Well, there's new math and there's no new, no physics. Yeah. It's all the same, you know? Um, how important was that? Like to where have to, you have these training groups, you have these guys and you get these different people, you get a, a hammer thrower in, you get a football player in. Did that make everything better rather than just having powerlifters directly? Or do you think it would have been oh, the same? Oh, fit together. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you talk about technique. A good coach can teach technique, right? But a master coach can tell you why you use this technique. That's the difference between yeah. a master coach and a coach. But to... Uh, I, a guy yeah. in my gym, Jimmy Seitzer, Mr. USA, second and fit to Mr. Universe and or Mr. America, and he was two elite totals. And a guy come in and say something. He says, I don't understand what you guys are doing. And Jimmy said, who'd been here for years, said, I don't know either. I just do it. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a poor ex- explanation of what I'm doing. He should have learned what the hell I'm doing, you know, and so he could pass it on. I'll never forget that. But uh, the first, well, one of the, you said a lot of things when I first came in here, so I can't say online. <laughs> but um, one was that a coach should learn more from the athlete. And then if you're doing your right, you should make the athlete better than you. Sure. So then everyone's self-sufficient. So when everything was going on, you'd walk in the gym, you're like, what is going on? And you used to give it a few weeks because it was helter-skelter everywhere. Mm-hmm. But then you understand that all you do is suggest and analyze. You never criticize. You're like, hey, I, you should do this or you'd show someone to do this. And I remember AJ Roberts was like, that's not going to fucking work. Um, he was benching what, eight at the time and he was like, Sevens. seven. He goes, his elbows are sore and they're sore because they're weak. And remember he got angry and whatever. But then it comes back in, he's like, I fucking hate it. The old man's always right. But uh, it seems like your coaching technique is very different than what people think coaching should be. Did you learn that from trial and error, or was that just the way it was from the I start? Be, I didn't want to be coached. You yeah. weren't told, well, told what to do. I don't. 
You know, everybody gets a group. You learn the basic fundamentals. Then, you, like you said, you work on the flaws. Yeah. You know, it's like like a fight. If you're going to take a fight, if I'm going to fight you know, your guy, and we watch this, oh, he's really good at this, so I'm going to have to be able to counteract this, and I have to change my training a little bit. So you come in the gym, and you're not sitting back in the squad. I, I re- realize right away you've got no glutes in your lower back. Yeah. You know, if you're four of your knees coming in, you got no hips. The bar flies over your face. You know your uh, your weak, your arms are weak. You're going back over. Always go over the strongest strongest muscle, which eventually will get broke. So you know the shortest line between uh, two discs is a straight line. So you build your arms and press the barbell in a straight line, almost like a decline. You won't get injuries. You never. You know, if your elbow don't rotate, you don't have rotate problems. Rotate yeah. problems. So I learned all this over the years, and being around just super strong guys and talking to the strongest men and. Some of the smartest men, also the you know, strongest and the smartest. Yeah, and I learned from both of them. The it's unique too, depending on the personality. There's some people where you'll explain, give them a book, and go, "Hey, this is what this mm-hmm. is," and they'll go off and do. And there's others you don't say a word, you have them follow somebody, mm-hmm. and then by doing, it, they realize they're weak at it, and they don't want to be weaker than that person. Right. How did you figure that out? Just by trial and error, and getting in the gym when I started. You know, I, I had no training partner for six years, and I had six. Yeah. Most of them PhDs. They're very smart guys. Yeah. And got them in there. I mean, as it turned out, they were also very strong guys. And, you know, so we all had a little different. Uh, you know, most gyms will have this. If you go to a gym, you have big squatters and no benchers. Or, you know, or, or big benchers and no squatters. It's funny because they they just migrate to the the same training, but you can't do that. you got to you got to work on your own training. Like you were saying, what yeah. do you need? It just don't matter what got me where I am, what do you need? I, I, a story, uh, Larry Pacifica told me years ago, had a 340 bench, 172 pounds, you know, roll. And he goes, Larry, Lou, you got trainer triceps. I go to every meet. I probably like a 320 bench. I got up to 340. Out of pure determination, I go back and train my arms, my bench to go backwards because I was out of shape. I said, well, hell with this. I'm not doing this. Next week, I get five. You've been, Larry, you've been training your arms? Well, Larry, it's about to Lou, you got to train your arms. <laughs> so five percent of your bench. So, uh, so finally, uh, or meet came up and, uh, they canceled it. And so, well, hell, I'll, I'll go and train arms for once in my life. My bench shoved 20 pounds. All right. Another guy told me he worked at side Dallas, being Gary Sanger, another 20 pounds raw. But, uh, then I go, I saw Bill Sino, a guy went Mr. Uh, 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 best chess in Mr. America several times, built like, like crazy, 242. And he, uh, he tells me, I said, uh, Mr. Sino, can you help me? This guy grabs me. I thought he was going to freaking kill me. Yeah. I mean, he's grabbing on me and doing this. He goes, you need the bench illegal. Now, Larry always said, bench close, train your arms. So I'm thinking, what the hell? You know, I'm just thinking about this. He said, you want to bench illegal, sixes and eights. You know, I, I hated the tens. You want to go six, eights, tens, back to six. I normally did tons of sixes. But in a year and a half, from 172 to 175, I touched go 450. But I went back and I got to thinking, I, I used Bill's method, ultra wide, to build part of my body. And then I did millions of extensions like Larry told me, and it worked. So see, sometimes you have to do combinations mm-hmm. of training. How did you tie that in with how you uh, rotated? How long did you know to keep the exercise in? Uh, I would push the sixes up until I couldn't make progress to start back over. Come back up, I'd always, I'd always elevate a little higher. And, uh, during, and at the end of the workout, I'd take, I'd take singles. You know, so, uh, you know, I always take a single at the end of the workout. You yeah. watch our guys down there. We'll take a squat workout. Then we take a, a single. You know, we didn't come in fully resting on bullshit because that's not how it works in the meet. But we can go in, do a big workout, and then break our all-time record in the same workout. 
That's GPP. Yeah. These guys, are, why do you need GPP? Because that's why we could deadlift in men's and meets, and you can't. You have no energy to deadlift. If I have, I think, 33 guys over eight. Yeah. If I had, if I had, I had two guys that could deadlift a thousand, and they both, you know, resigned before they before they did it. And it was, my, my big regret was not having a thousand pound deadlift. You know, we got, you know, the, the top squat in the world, the biggest benches in the world, biggest totals in the world, but I always wanted that deadlift. Yeah. Well, too, it seems like the way everyone trained here was to be the best and the worst day possible. Mm -hmm. That That's no matter right. what happened is that they knew that if they felt terrible because they trained when they felt terrible, they trained when they felt tired, they knew what it was, except compared to people who come in here, think they're in shape, they got halfway through a squat workout and they're on the ground gasping yeah. for air. Yeah, they're in the bathroom. Yeah. I, I can't even believe it. And nowadays in my life, I can't believe someone's in the bathroom throwing up in my gym. You know, some visitor. I'm like, what am I... This is what we do every week. Well, and that's what people, uh, they misunderstand and they don't um, see the importance of GPP and what actual high GPP is. Yeah. Most people think you get the most out of the minimum. You, it's impossible. You have to raise volume all the time. Accumulation of volume is the key. Um, I'm doing an experiment right now where I got someone working their hips every day. Every day. And uh, what's happened is, you know, the, the, the MR19? Mm -hmm. How about doing those all the way down with a green band on there? Oh, that's, yeah. That's a bitch. Yeah. I'd saying something. See, that's, it started out a minivan. It went to a monster. It went to a light. And now a green for reps, for like 10 reps. And why? Because at night and stuff, do special hip, direct hip exercises. Front sled, back sled, uphill sled, uh, sideways sled, a lot of leg raises, a lot of stuff. You know, and you name it, we're doing it. And it, it absolutely paid off. And like, in, uh, I got a kid, Jarrett, when he showed up here, he could dead up like 520. He's already pulled six now in a short period of time. He couldn't even lock out the good morning machine with a plate on it. Yeah, you stand up. He couldn't get his. He couldn't stand up with the damn thing. Yeah. I'm going like, you have no glutes. So that's what we do: work on glutes and hips. He paid attention. Ultra wide sumos, jumps his deadlift right up. How did you monitor progress in the gym that carries over to just say to the hammer to football? What was those correlations? To me, actually, most of it is, is the box jumps. Yeah, you got to be strong. I mean, especially if you're going through a hammer. You know, hammer's a little different than the other. You need stronger legs. It's a little bit different thing to different implements in throwing. You know, like the like the javelin. There's no distance. You yep. can pick your own distance. Out. You don't. You know, you don't have a circle. So it was all kind of little things. But I had a, a gold, a silver medal in a long jump in the last Olympics here, and uh, he needed more acceleration. So I went out and I put him. Uh, we we ran him here for like uh, I forgot like like what was it like four seconds, but he ran from here to here, all right, and then we, and we put a cone down. And we ran from here to here, and he exceeded, exceeded. We picked up uh, seven, seven um, uh, like two and a half meters on his approach, fast. Crazy. And I did it by not, not having to run for time, because everyone would accommodate to it, and they'll just go out there and jog along. But if you see that cone, you got to outrun that cone. There's that cone. you got to bypass that cone when I say stop, and they do it. And it just, uh, the change of the mental process means everything. When their sports, just say when they go to the field and they um, go through their sports specific movement and that is down, where do you suggest they turn back the volume on the sports specific, keep the gym or is it a mixture of both? Well, yeah, too many guys like the weights too much. And then too many guys only want to jump, don't like weights at all. There is a combination, you got to figure it out. 
You're absolutely right. It's hard to figure out for a lot of people. I fell down in track. The reason I think you got a lot of track injuries, I watched it and watched it and watched it. And I and there's a book, uh, uh, Faster Running uh, uh, Underground. Oh, by Barry Ross? Yes, yeah, by Barry Ross. And there was a, there was a study in there. The lady said, or they said, drop running 33%. So I did. The, because what was happening was, uh, you know, you go out and do max effort sprinting or whatever. I don't care if it's 120 or, or 40. Yeah. And they couldn't do the max effort weight together in the same week. So we dropped out the running and added the strength, and they ran faster. After all, a boy, a man runs faster than a boy. Why? Because he matures and he gets natural strength. Just raise, raise the strength. They're going, running is strength and power. You can say what the hell you want. You can dream up any damn formula you think and make a book about it. But running strength and power. Look at these freaking football players. If one, if one for um, you know the money that they make, they would be the Olympic world record holders. Yeah, there is no doubt in my mind. And how they run like a football player. <laughs> They're not critiqued on how to run, right? No. They're more concerned. Uh, the runners are concerned with not only running, but they got to slow down and turn left to right. You know, it's just not like an all-out burst. If they train, eliminate the left to right and the slow down. Concentrate on this all out, they would be the Olympic rep. They'd be the world records. And they're just, what are they? Football players. Marvelous athletes, you know. When you get an athlete in, can you see that they're overtraining? Like by the way they handle the ways, the way they do accessory work? Oh, Tom, so many guys come here and say, I said, you know, no, right now I got this, I got this peck in here. I got that. What the hell? How do you have all these injuries? Same thing with track. You know, remember track girl years ago? Yeah. Come here, nine, yeah. six years could not qualify for the hip. Always had broke, broke a broken foot, a, a fractured shin, and this and that. She acted like that. You, that was part of the game. I go, what? Six years could qualify. She was here nine, and, and Rick maybe one record of the of the events once a year. She's here uh, for nine weeks, uh, qualifies for the hip for the first time nationally, and set the hurdle, broke her hurdle record, her sixty record, and the shot put record. And she called me on the phone. I'm going like, well, this is just, she was amazed. I'm going like, yeah, so what? You know what I mean? Well, what was amazing. That's supposed to be. What was amazing to me for that was in 21 days, the change. And that showed me was the higher the level of the athlete, mm. when you dial in that training in three weeks, they're a completely different person. That's right. And it wasn't as if you're doing in the gym 24-7 you're training as often as necessary. Yeah. That was the big, and 21 days in, the change was crazy. That's why I tell everybody, 21 days. You know, the body actually runs in cycles, 21, 23 D cycles. So, but for us, I mean, that's why we've always, if you look at Perlipin's chart, I look at the chart be before it, and 50% of these, the greatest weightlifters in the world, 50% of the trades between 75 mm -hmm. and 80, 75 and 85%. All right, so I'm going, well, it's good enough for them, good enough for me. But what I realized later on, that I'm in it, that's good for weightlifters. Weightlifters don't have to do the same thing. Powerlifters is in the slower streaks. You know, we're, we're going, we don't have to be fast with heavy weights. We just got to be lift heavy weights. So we jumped it up 5%. And then, like I said, in the last two years, we broke over 10 world squat records. Yeah. Squat records, benches, three benches, and about three or four totals. So it's undeniable. I mean, you can say what you want. You can do all the study you want. I got proof. Where's your freaking proof? Well, and it's even outside of this gym. All the coaches who are reaching in, telling us what they're getting 
from said the diversity of sport from cricket to BMX yeah. to rugby yeah. to tennis, you name it, the diversity is out there. And every day we get more and more emails saying, hey, we just did this, this. And it's all little variations. And they all, what they realize is like, look, we learn from Lou, we learn from Westside, but we're not at Westside, but how can we do it? Mm -hmm. So they adapted their system. And before you know it, they have all these results. And it's making little uh, changes to the foundation. Right. And, um, and yeah, it's important. It's huge. And the the best coach, like Dan DePasqua is a good coach to reference here. He realized conjugate is everything. So he'll rotate stuff. He'll even rotate days, change stuff because he's able to do with the team. Or he'll do stuff where uh, they'll have grappling instead. They're one of the first teams to ever have a, a grappling coach on retainer. You know, all the, their injury rates, yep, all came from here. Yeah. But like, that's what people don't realize is that... Uh, their injury rates in the off season was high, but it was weren't high injuries. And in season, next to nothing. Mm -hmm. And they have the most winning record of any rugby team, I believe, in the world. Yeah, they always talk about off season. They say, "What are you doing in off season? Off season? I ain't got a freaking off season." Yeah, <laughs> I told this before, but the Worlds was in Columbus, the WPC Worlds, and, and Chuck Bogopol won it and on a Sunday, of course. And so a bunch of Germans come to the the gym the next day. They come in and say, hey, man, what's up? They come on in and go, hey, who's that back there doing good mornings? I go, that, that's Chuck Bogle. said, didn't he live? He said, no, I didn't live. He won. I go, yeah. Well, a meet is <laughs> ought to be a joke compared to training. And in my gym, a meet was a joke compared to training. And not only up, you know, physically up here. If you didn't like to compete, by God, you were going to compete. Yeah. If you didn't want to max out the bench, you're maxing out the bench. He was going to throw your ass off. What happens in the contest? Don't want to throw the other opponent off, yeah. right? Chaos. Chaos. That's right. So it's actually controlled chaos, yeah. and, and it worked really good. Well, it was, uh, I can't remember who it was. They were afraid to compete in a crowd. So you had a bunch of people surround him, shouting at him. Oh, so went to a meet. It was, yeah. Olympic champion. So it's the, the gym is the answer for everything. If, you yep. can, if you're smart enough to figure it out. And I remember a lot of the guys... They didn't mind competing, but they hated going to the meets because it affected their training. Mm -hmm. They oh. loved to train. Like that, a meet was just a pain in the ass, but they had to do it for yeah. results. Wait, the meet, that's right. The meets are results. You don't go to meet, we don't know anything about the results. So that's why we always look for a meet. We're trying right now, you know, we got a big meet in July. We're trying to get a push pull about April. Yeah. And uh, hopefully it's show times. And uh, so we know where we're at so we can, you know, reflect on our training to where to go. See, and that's important for all sports. Because powerlifting is really like a boxer in a gym. You have your ring, you have that. But when you're a boxer training in a gym, you have to go back into the ring to get results to see, hey, am I in shape? Am I strong? Mm. That's where people, I think, uh, don't do the best justice of the training system. They do too much in the gym, but they don't test where they're at, so they don't change it up. Or afraid to. Yeah, I know some Olympic lifters, and one of my, my things about Olympic weightlifters, they don't take enough maxes. Oh, what the hell are you, what are you afraid of? Now, if you're going to take a bigger weight, how are you going to lift a bigger weight? You can't run around doing 70 and 80% all your damn life. And, um, you know, I think I got my own reasons. I won't bring it up why they do that. But, I mean, you know, if, if Olympic, you know, until 1972, they were asked us how to train in Olympic weightlifting. And, and at that time, a lot of our Olympic weightlifting and the champions were um, powerlifters. They did both. Yeah, you know, back then you mixed them up. Even bodybuilding and power, bodybuilding and powerlifters worked a lot together because bodybuilding is powerlifting's basic bodybuilding. You know, bodybuilding is a shape, you know, the leg extension yeah. is crap that we don't do. You know, but I mean, is squat bench deadlift curl and row? That's you know, I mean, honestly, old man, I tell you, that's what it is. 
but then you modify it for bodybuilding because you're trying to build a body. Yeah. Me, we're trying to build strength. Well, and back to Jimmy Seitzer, when he was doing power building, he got more out of that than anyone. Oh, yeah. And it's, uh, you don't see very many of them nowadays, I think, because training and everything has evolved with it. Yeah, I think philosophy. Philosophies yeah. change, and right or wrong, they do. And, you know, you look at the bodybuilders today, it's nothing like what you had back then. I mean, Jesus. Some of these guys say are crazy. Like that Flex Lewis and all, it's insane. Um, back to how important was overhead pressing? Overhead pressing, very important. I, I normally did all of our seated. But, uh, like, if you go back and look at the old-timers that could really bench, like Pat Casey and these guys, you know, bench 600 in, I think, 1970, maybe 69. Uh, a third of their training was uh, overhead, incline, and then flat. So it was a, divided up into three. Kenny Patterson, George Halbert, Rob, and all these, Kenny, you know, um, I mean, Jerry O bench 705, we record 728, he's full power lifter. It, it's, they all did the same thing. Tons of overhead. And that overhead, for me, I had three lifts. I'm not the greatest bencher. I made like the bottom of the top 10 a lot uh, for 22 years. Yeah. And I'm not a bencher. I did it, I mean, believe it or not, this little brain I got, because I made great benchers and I did what I had them do. But it was a steep incline, super steep, standing up on a, on a bench, uh, close grip. I made 370. Yeah. I make a record, my bench went up. JM Press, uh, 405 for three, my bench went up. I like to put, do a lot in the power rack where the bar touches your chest. I lower the pins two inches. I use a five-inch camera bar, take it down in my face, and th there, my best is four or five for one. I broke, I broke the incline or the JM. My bench was up, straight up. That, that was my common denominator. Yeah. I didn't want to go test the bench. You know, I mean, I tell people, you know, if you go kick my ass, and uh, I'm not going to show up your house next week trying to kick guys, you kick my ass again over and over and over and over. I'm going to go learn you know, learn how to do it. Yeah. And so uh, I, I use those three things, tons of upper back work, for instance. But me, uh, I wanted to get strong. Me and Chuck Vogel, big come up. What did we do? More reverse hypers. Yeah. That's all we did. Heavy, heavy reverse hypers. Why? Um, it's accumulation of volume, I'm telling you. For, why are people so afraid for overhead pressing, especially for shot putters, throwers, fighters, and baseball players? A lot of like they're like, oh, we're afraid to overhead press them. Well, I heard that from football coaches. I said, dude, you're going to have to get your arms over your head. Yeah. Why wouldn't you overhead press? I heard that a lot. I won't say where. NFL coaches. Well, but is it because that because they know they haven't done the job and they're so weak in the shoulders that they're through it? Or? I, I think you look at it backwards because they got their heads, their hands over their head blocking yeah. and got their shoulders hurt so they don't want to do it. But if they did it in the first place, they wouldn't get hurt. <laughs> that makes sense? Yeah. Um, how important was Rose? and upper back work for any of the, like for anything rowing for anyone who throws forward. Is that important? Very good, yeah, upper back. I, I, when I was working with the Browns a little bit, Tommy Malinsky, he had a bench up here she laid straight down, flat down on, and did, it was a row bench, you know, yep. when you did rows like that. You know, we used the pec deck, barbell, dumbbell. Get down my gym right now, like, you know, watch watch Rob, all the freaking rows this guy does. Yeah. You look at him, delts on him. I mean, it, tons and tons of uh, Joe. Yeah. Uh, tons of rows, tons of rows. You know, he used to say, well, Eddie Cohn told me, whatever you deadlift, you should be able to do a row, half, barbell row, half of that. And that made sense. I mean, it sounds like phenomenal, but it does make sense. Yeah. Um, 
On that, Lou, I think we're going to start wrapping it up. Is there anything else you want to get out to talk about uh, Judd or for hammer throwing or football? Or? Well, Judd was a great man. Like I said, he come, I met him, and I saw him. He's a great coach. It's hard to see these guys go, especially yeah. at a young age, uh, because they got so much more to teach people, you know. That's why I'm trying to hang around. Yeah. If I could just get a little bit more words out and, you know, help someone, you know, you know like maybe, maybe get them in the NFL or whatever, make a yeah. bunch of money. I mean, what this world's about. It's a lot better than that than driving a trash truck. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's the only reason I do it. And also, I had a lot of injuries. I did not know what I was doing. You know, I won't go through it, but I told you I was on crutches in 73 yeah. for 10 freaking months. That was the beginning. I don't want to see people hurt. One thing in my gym, I don't want to see people get hurt. And mm-hmm. how many is he? Very few. Yeah. Hardly anyone gets hurt down there. They don't even pair a peg. Yeah. They don't hurt a peg. They don't hurt his shoulder. They don't pair a bull ham. Why? We've got, um, like uh, Dr. Siff, you know, for super training came here. First thing, he was amazed that we do soft tissue training. Says no one does soft tissue. I said, Well, we do. Yeah. We do hundreds of band curls for the, you know, for the hamstrings and the triceps and the push downs and, you know, you name it. I mean, uh, neck and all this. That's why we don't have those soft tissue injuries. They're, they're, I think they're worse than the, you know, an injury is yeah. an injury. How important is to you right now having um, all the people who follow us and read your books and are actually implementing? Because over the last like few years, we're seeing more and more people are like, okay, this makes sense, like because they're implementing, they're actually doing it. But was that your always your goal was to educate people and to like to have this dynasty of people like, okay, injury rates are low, performance is through the roof, and guess what? You're self sufficient. Once you know it, you don't need a coach; you can coach yourself. Right. Was that always the goal? That was always my goal. I you know I didn't want to work for kids. I just wanted to work with, you know actually powerlifters. But then I got some track and I got you know fighters come through yeah. just help them a little bit. But my my goal was just to teach people how to train because like I said way back you know just you know how come you make me well I hurt myself way go I hurt myself what the hell's going on here That's why I just wanted to spread a method of training that's safe and uh, and and very efficient. You know don't take hours to do. You get in and do it and you get out and you go. You know, for us, it's normally four big workouts and four small workouts is what it is. You know, if you got time to do it. If you want yeah. to be best, you got to train. I mean, I don't care what sport it is, you know. So that's, that's basically and But you got to train what? Why, my friend Sicario, he always said, it does no good to uh, train, uh, you know, uh, what you don't need. Yeah. Train what you need. Don't train what you don't need. That's a simple thing, but it's true. Too many guys get fit, you know, like, why the guy could not squat? I said, dude, you got no ass. You can't sit back. So what you do? Leg press, leg press. I said, you are the dumbest freaking person I've ever known. So if squat goes nowhere, what do you go? Back to leg press. I go, oh, Christ. <laughs> go back to what they always know. But remember, you can bleed a horse to water, but you can't make yeah. it swim. The, well, there's a big thing, too, that you said. I think it was your summer that... Uh, Westside is not just a physical location, it's a state of mind. Yes. So when you can take what you learn and you can, and we're seeing it like from kindergarten kids to the NFL, they're taking iterations of that. And I think a lot of people don't understand, they don't understand where bands like uh, you got Dick Hartsaw, then from there, you guys went, put them on machines, boards, pin presses, sleds, the belt squat, the ATP, the inverse, everything originated. Like it's, it's nearly gone. Uh, to a point where people are like, oh, they just take it because it's in 
common exercises, but it all originated from this one gym, which right. is crazy. Well, I, don't even know I used to go and talk at universities, and they'd be talking about my stuff and don't even know it was my stuff. Yeah. I just sat back there and go, oh, who gives a damn? You know, as long as they're doing it, I don't care. They don't even realize where this stuff came from. Yeah. I went to one down in Florida, and the guy's talking about his guys are pulling two, two plates on sled. We're going, two plates? Yeah. Yeah, freaking 10 year old kids pulling two plates. But, <laughs> you know, how many people think they got a fast car? You know, it goes 17 and a quarter. And then you run into a guy's got a car, that goes eight and a quarter. You know what I mean? They don't know. Yeah. If you run with the lame, you develop a limp. Yeah. Hang around the best. Never associate with people less than yourself, ever. You know, it's your downfall. Rise up to your competition. That's right. Um, you want to fight and scratch for everything you got, man. When you don't do that, then, then you're done. Uh, have you got anything else? That's all I have. No, I just uh, hope everybody has a good New Year's, and uh, uh, you know, uh, I wish uh, you know Judge family good luck, and um, and I guess we'll see you next time. All right, thank you. <laughs>